Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope you're all having a wonderful week. This is The Last Symptom Podcast, and I'm Brian Barnett, the creator of The Last Symptom, and your host. The focus of The Last Symptom is accurate insights on emotional health and emotional unhealth, as well as authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders, such as borderline personality disorder. My qualifications are these. I personally lived with borderline personality disorder, completely oblivious to the fact that I had any type of disorder at all. I suffered a devastating crisis accompanied with devastating losses. Then I spent seven long years meticulously and insightfully understanding all of the true fundamental causes of emotional disorder and their relationships with the symptoms that they create. Over the course of those seven long years I just mentioned, I authentically and permanently rid myself of borderline personality disorder. I've been living emotionally healthy ever since, and now I try to help others do the same thing to escape these emotional disorders in much less time than it took me. How's that for a resume? In today's episode, Campfire Stories, I'm going to tell you about the time I got in and sat down in a total stranger's car completely by accident. I'm going to share with you some valuable quotes that I heard recently and and made a note of to reflect on for myself. But primarily I want to talk about your bed. That's right, I want to talk about your bed and uh, about how much I want to sleep in your bed with you. The reason for it is because I want to use it. I want to use that to talk to you about a letter that I just recently got from my dad that I made mention of just a couple of shows back. And I want to give you a personal update about how that has affected me and how I've ultimately decided to handle the situation. But before we really get the ball rolling today, please let me tell you about thelastsymptom.com my website for free resources. There are also a few modest paid resources at thelastsymptom.com that help support my ongoing efforts. These are one-on-one phone conversations with me, one-on-one Zoom video calls, and probably most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. The Last Symptom Fundamentals course is a structured, intensive, two-week course for those interested in authentically recovering from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Because it's pre-recorded, it works with absolutely any schedule imaginable. If you want an idea of what it's like taking the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, it's no different than taking a pre-recorded college course, except that instead of a highfalutin college professor as a presenter, You have me as the presenter. Donations continue to be an important support for The Last Symptom, and I want to especially thank those of you who have contributed most recently. You know who you are. I try to send out personal thanks to individuals when I'm able, but they might not always reach you, 
if they get intercepted by some mailbox algorithm. The last symptom community on locals, L-O-C-A-L-S, is a unique, interesting, informative, and fun place to be in internet world. We hope you'll join us there by visiting thelastsymptom.locals.com or by downloading the Locals app from the App Store. Again, that's L-O-C-A-L-S and searching for The Last Symptom. This week on Locals, we've been talking about how to defuse anger and we're just getting that conversation started. So if things like that seem beneficial to you and you're not in our group, you're missing out. In episode two of this season, near the end of the program, I revealed that I had received a letter from my dad. If you're a newer listener, I'm not going to go into all the details today about why the letter was so significant. For the complete context, you'll have to hear some of the earlier episodes. But for today, you can just use your imagination. We've talked about my dad many times before in regards to boundaries, conditions, real love, how real love behaves, how sometimes genuine love takes a lot of options off the table. In other words, sometimes genuine love says, this is what has to be done, and then you just have to do it, whether it's really what you would prefer or not. So a few weeks ago, I received a letter from my dad out of the blue. Part of the context is this. He sent the letter knowing that he's not welcome to have any communication with me whatsoever unless he has met certain conditions. And those conditions are very reasonable and fair, very simple to do. And the condition is this. He has to be seeing a professional therapist or psychologist regularly to try to understand the true nature of his past abuses and to get to the bottom of what allowed him to be abusive at all. The beauty about this condition is that by doing this, my father would be demonstrating genuine remorse for his past abuses. You know, we've talked in the past about how saying I'm sorry That's not a demonstration of remorse. A demonstration of remorse involves a change in action. It requires effort. It's when a person says, I really want to try to understand my abuse or my offense and understand why I thought that was okay. What allowed me to do that at all or to treat you that way at all? When a person does this, when they demonstrate genuine remorse, what they're doing is they're qualifying themselves for forgiveness. Now, we've talked about forgiveness in the past too. There are people, you might be one of them, who likes the idea of just granting forgiveness to other people without any conditions. So they don't have to demonstrate remorse. They don't even have to be sorry. You're just going to grant the forgiveness anyway. But that's not healthy. And when a person really understands the fundamental laws and principles that emotional health, that true emotional health, is built on, you begin to see why that can't be. Unconditional forgiveness means no boundaries, no, con- no conditions, no consequences. And a life without boundaries, conditions, and consequences and emotional health cannot coexist. Those two things cannot coexist. Every healthy person lives with boundaries and consequences. So a demonstration of genuine remorse is a wonderful condition to hold a person to. Because if they they demonstrate genuine remorse, then suddenly... It opens you up to be able to healthfully extend forgiveness to them. It's in line and in harmony with all of the fundamental principles and laws of emotional health. No contradictions. It's just a beautiful, harmonious thing. But as I've told you before, 
My father refuses to meet this very reasonable condition. And so therefore, I'm unable to healthily extend forgiveness to him. And therefore, I'm unable to healthfully um, continue allowing him to communicate with me and have contact with me or a relationship with me. And you know, that's the beauty of boundaries. Each one of us gets to make decisions for ourselves, don't we? We don't have any rights over other people as far as making decisions for them and controlling them. When we create a boundary, what we're doing is making decisions for ourselves and controlling ourselves, not somebody else. The other person still has complete and total freedom to do whatever they want to do. It's just that based on what they do or don't do, this will affect the decisions we then make for ourselves. It's the situation I'm in with my dad. You know, I've created a condition saying, if you want to communicate with me, if you want to have contact with me or a relationship with me, this is the condition that you need to meet in order to do that. It's entirely up to him whether he meets that condition. I can't force him to do it, but I can make a decision for myself and say that having not met those conditions, I don't want that in my life. That's why when unhealthy people complain about boundaries, their form of reasoning reflects a completely false and distorted version of reality. So I I guess you can't even call it a version of reality because there's nothing real about it. But you'll frequently hear them complaining about boundaries as being ultimatums or blackmail or as controlling. But to illustrate the true nature of boundaries, let's go back to this topic involving your bed. Your bed is a pretty intimate thing, ain't it? It's your bed. It's a very personal space. It belongs exclusively to you. Now, let's say that somebody comes along, like me, who wants to sleep with you in your bed. Does that person just automatically have the right to sleep with you in your bed just because it's what they want to do? How about this? Do they automatically have a right to sleep with you in your bed because they've known you for a long time? For example, can your uncle just decide to sleep in your bed with you, no matter how you feel about it, just because he's known you for 20 years and you're you're related? The answer is no. No other adults have inherent rights over you. You're an adult. Your bed is your bed. It's personal. It's private. Decisions about who gets to sleep in your bed belong only to you. It doesn't matter one iota what anybody else wants or thinks about your bed and who should get to sleep in it. Now imagine that you say to this person who comes along wanting to sleep in your bed, I'm willing to let you sleep in my bed with the condition that you have to take a shower before you do. If you meet that condition, then I'm fine with you sleeping in my bed with me. If the person refuses to shower, How is this possibly an example of you quote-unquote controlling him or her? Or if you trying to quote-unquote make decisions for him or her? Do you see the absurdity of that? The decision whether to bathe or not is always entirely up to them. You haven't even tried to take that away from them. They can bathe, or they don't have to bathe. It's entirely up to them. 
they have all the freedom in the world to make whatever decision they want to make. You're not obligated to let them sleep in your bed at all, remember? If you've created a condition that they can meet so that they can do what they want to do, this is something you've chosen to do voluntarily, by the way. It's in no way were you obligated to create this pathway for them at all. You could have simply said, no, you can't, and that's that. So this condition that you have created is completely voluntary. It's not obligatory. It's an act of kindness, not an obligation. By creating the condition that the person has to shower before they can climb into your bed with you, who is the only person you've made a decision for or tried to control? Yourself. That's right. You've looked at yourself and your life and you've made decisions for yourself. These are the conditions that have to exist for anybody that I will sleep with in my bed. Each one of us have every inherent right in the world to make decisions for ourselves like this. Inherent means that as soon as you turned into an adult, those rights belong to you. It, it came with being an adult. It doesn't have to be granted or recognized by anybody else. These rights are an inseparable part of simply being an adult human being. Let's go back to this imaginary person who wants to sleep in your bed. You've told him or her, Sure, I'm okay with you sleeping in my bed, but you have to take a shower first. Imagine now that they refuse to take a shower, and they attempt to push past you to go sleep in your bed anyway. Do you see how obnoxious that is? Do you see the complete lack of respect for other people it demonstrates, and do you also see the underlying attitude fueling that sort of behavior? The underlying attitude is this. Only I matter. Especially obnoxious is the fact that you were actually willing to let that person sleep in your bed. You didn't have to let them sleep in your bed, but you were going to let them sleep in your bed, provided they met a very simple and reasonable condition first. And what did they do? They took this goodwill of yours, completely spit in your face, by going ahead and trying to do whatever they wanted to do anyway on their own terms. These people are children. You know, little children view and approach the world this way. They are emotionally stunted to the point that their approach to the world and to life is that of little ignorant babies. Only I matter. I'm going to do what I want. You only exist for me. In fact, everything that exists, exists only for me. This is not healthy adult behavior and thinking. When the person in our example has refused to meet the conditions that you kindly created, remember, you don't have to let them sleep in your bed at all, but you've created a fair condition for them so that they can sleep in your bed anyway. And they ignore those conditions and try to do whatever they want anyway. What is the likely consequence of this? Well, imagine, you know, that you're on a first date or something. And you've come back to your place and this is the kind of behavior you get from this person who up until now you were having a good time with. Think about how now you're reevaluating everything everything, right? Any possibility they had 
of sleeping in your bed is probably gone. Even the condition that you originally created that would have allowed them to sleep in your bed is now probably long gone. That condition don't even exist anymore. They've completely blown that offer. You know, it's like going to Walmart a year after they had a special sale and saying, hey, I'm ready for that great discount you had last year. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. You missed out on that offer. That boat has sailed. In other words, because of their blatant disregard for you and your boundaries, even if they were to go now and take a shower, it's not going to make any difference to you very likely. If you're, if you're sane, <laughs> that offer is long gone because of their own decisions and actions. The conditions that you kindly created for them have now drastically changed. Everything's different now. Any future conditions they'll need to meet are surely going to be a lot harder to live up to now. It's not going to be as easy as taking a shower. Now you're probably going to want to see their police reports. You're going to want to talk to their ex-wife or their ex-girlfriend. You're going to want to talk to talk to their friends. You're going to want to investigate his or her Facebook profile a little bit deeper, aren't you? Well, my father and his letter are exactly like the example we've been discussing. In fact, I know many of you out there right now are caught up in these same sorts of situations with grown people who live with this stunted, childish, immature little baby attitude. Only I matter. My father knows full well what the conditions are for him to be able to reach out to me. He refuses to meet these very reasonable conditions year after year and yet year after year he stubbornly continues to try sleeping in my bed knowing it is my bed and knowing what he has to do before he's allowed to sleep there the last time you and I had this discussion you might remember that he tried to start a conversation with me as I was leaving a place where we both inadvertently found ourselves at the same time. What was he doing on that occasion? He was disregarding the reasonable conditions I had created and he was trying to sleep in my bed anyway. When I got the letter from him a few weeks ago, what was he really doing? He was again disregarding the very reasonable conditions I had created and he was trying to sleep in my bed anyway. The attitude is this. I get to set the terms. I get to determine the conditions. It doesn't matter if it's mine or not. Anything in life I come into contact with exists for me. So I get to set the terms and I get to determine the conditions. I remember about five years ago when I first communicated the conditions my dad would have to meet if he wanted any contact with me, which was that, again, he would have to be seeing a therapist or psychologist regularly. He said to me, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do instead is just go and talk to some people I know, some friends of mine who I respect about these things. What's the problem with that? What is the problem with that? Should I have said, well, that's, that's good enough? Here's the problem with it. The problem, and I would like you to write this down and think hard about this because a lot of people will try to pull this quick quickie on you you know this kind of sleight of hand the problem is that the abuser doesn't get to set the terms for how to compensate the person he has abused let's say that again the abuser 
does not get to set the terms for how to compensate the person he has abused. Do you get that? You don't go steal something from your neighbor, get caught, and then get to choose for yourself how you can make amends to the person you stole from. That's not making amends, is it? To emphasize how ridiculous this idea is of the offender getting to choose for himself how to make amends, imagine the neighbor that you stole from says, in order to make amends for stealing my property, this is what I need for you to do. And now imagine that you say, well, I'm not going to do that. What I'll do to make amends instead is this other thing that I that appeals to me more and that has nothing to do with what you said I needed to do to make amends. Is that making amends? Of course it's not. It's just more of this same old childish horse shit that we've already talked about. Only I matter. If you're the offender or the abuser, you choosing your own way to make amends is not making amends. Who gets to decide what will compensate for an injustice? The person who gets to decide this is the person who suffered the injustice, not the person who committed the injustice. After all, the entire purpose of amending things is to make things all right between you and the person you have abused or offended. So the letter from my dad comes in the mail, completely out of the blue. And I told you folks that I was going to sit on that letter for a while and let my emotions settle before I come to any decisions about how to handle the situation. Originally, I told you that this was probably going to take a few days or maybe even a week. Well, it took a lot longer than that. And I'll tell you why it did. The more I thought on the letter, and the more I analyzed the bigger issues at play, and the more I thought about how this letter reflects a continuation of the same old horseshit and attitudes that I've had to put up with from my father for 46 years now, the more frustrated and angry this made me. Literally, not a single thing has changed about him, and yet every single time I have to see his ignorant face or be exposed to some stupidity of his, it's the same old delusional clown show. Oh, I've changed. Oh, I'm different. While he has literally not done a single solitary thing differently, nor has he taken a single solitary action to bring about any real change. And while the very messages are proof that he's literally exactly the same as he was 30 years ago, thinks exactly the same, lives with the exact same attitudes, is making the exact same excuses, and is doing all of the exact same things to avoid any real self-exploration. I'm telling you what, there have been days these past few weeks where I really wanted to put my fist through a table. I've had multiple dreams now where I'm in a discussion with him and we just go round and round and round. And I wake up extremely frustrated. There has to be a better word than frustrated. Frustrated is like when autocorrect on your phone keeps messing up one of your text messages. The level of frustration I'm talking about when waking up from these dreams is way beyond that. It's off the charts. I've had to be very mindful of this internal frustration that uh, I've been trying to work through and process while dealing with other people 
so that I don't let my personal frustration spill out onto the way that I treat them. So to go from that level of frustration to clear thought and clear, reliable decision-making has taken a lot of patience. I just said to myself, I'm not going to act on this at all until I've worked it out. I've even caught myself having conversations out loud where I'm working in my studio, but having a converse, I catch myself having a conversation out loud with my dad in my imagination. Does that ever happen to you? Where you're trying to work out what you would say if the other person were right in front of you? Yeah, I've caught myself doing that a few times. And when I have caught myself doing that, I've stopped everything I'm doing. I've sat down. And I've reoriented myself. Time to use that superpower we always talk about. You know, the one where we have complete control to choose what we continue thinking about. So when I catch myself in these pointless imaginary conversations, stop myself and take a break from those thoughts and choose to think about something else, which I've done on those occasions. Let me tell you a couple of the completely delusional things in my dad's letter. And then I'll tell you whether I've decided to write back to him or not. And I'll give you a little hint on that right now. If you truly understand how boundaries work, you should already know the answer to this. And I'll tell you the consequences of my father writing this letter to me at all without first meeting the conditions that he knew had to, that he had to meet before even sitting down to write it. One thing my dad expressed in the letter was regret that he spent so much time working and not enough time with me when I was growing up. You get that? He expressed regret that he spent so much time working and not enough time with me while I was growing up. Oh, that's nice people who lack any insight whatsoever will say. The man who spent my entire life abusing me mentally, emotionally, and physically is so delusional that he thinks my big complaint in life is that he didn't spend enough time with me. Do you see how self-serving and absurd that is? As if that's really the thing I'm looking back on disapprovingly of, that the man who spent my entire life abusing me mentally, emotionally, and physically didn't set aside even more time to mentally, emotionally, and physically abuse me. It's absolutely the most delusional mindset I can even fathom. I think I actually shuddered with repulsion when I read it. The idea of that man with his unhealthy, abusive, narcissistic attitudes spending even more time focused on me. The idea is disgusting and repulsive. Even when I was completely blind and ignorant to the fact that my dad was abusive and that I was being abused, I don't know how many of you understand that, but until I was 35, I thought my father, I idolized my father. Here I am, the, the target and victim of all this abuse, and I don't even know I'm being abused because I've got no other life experience to compare it to. I just think that's natural father-son relationships. But even when I was completely blind and ignorant to the fact that my dad was abusive, and it's just astonishing to me that it never occurred to me, your, your dad is not a good person. Even while suffering the, just the most intense abuses. But even when I was ignorant, I still feared him. I knew I feared him. And I wanted to keep plenty of distance from him. All of these years later, and I can just imagine him sitting at home, racking his brain, trying to figure out what I could possibly want from him, even though he knows 
what I want from him. But you see, we go back to setting your own standard, setting your own, uh, saying, I'm not, okay, that's what you need to make amends? Well, that just that's off the table. I'm not going to do that. So he's he knows exactly what I need and what I want, but he's saying, that's not even an option. I'm not, not even going to consider that. So he, now he's racking his brain about what other things he can come up with that would be a sufficient substitute. And I can just imagine this light bulb, bing, appearing over his head while he snaps his fingers in this moment of delusional brilliance. Aha, I know exactly what's bothering him. He didn't have enough of me in his life. My God, are you kidding me? The level of this narcissism. Another thing he did in the letter which he has done literally every single in every single brief communication I've ever had with him for the past 10 years. He again attempted to excuse everything away as being nothing more than generational differences, which is another level of stupidity and purposeful ignorance that I just I have no tolerance for. It's as if, you know, all of my father's contemporaries around the world were mentally, emotionally, and physically abusing their children. That's the premise. Every parent between 1975 and 1993 was mentally, emotionally, and physically abusing their kids, you see. Yep, just totally as normal as can be. Nothing, nothing more to it than that. There were absolutely no children raised between 1975 and 1993, I reckon, that weren't being mentally, emotionally, and physically abused by their parents, so totally justified. What more is there for my poor, stupid dad to consider there? Nothing, I guess, but he's changed. Oh yeah, he's totally changed. But also, abuse that lots of people are doing, Clear. you got to see how that's not anywhere near as bad as if he were the only one on earth abusing his children. No, as long as lots of other people were doing it, as long as lots of other people are abusive assholes too, that dilutes the seriousness of his personal responsibility, you see. So what's my problem? Why won't I just drop all this already and let it go? It's also absolutely repulsive and disgusting and idiotic. But he's changed. Oh yeah, he's totally changed. Still lives with all the exact same demented perspectives and attitudes as he always has. But he's totally different and changed. And if you believe that, I have a psychic raccoon to sell you. Something important I wanted to share with you. One really important thing that helped my emotions to finally... uh, calm to the point that I could think clearly about these things reach some reasonable conclusions and relax is that I reached out to a couple of people and I talked basically everything I've expressed here I expressed to them on the phone I went off on a tangent and I expressed myself openly for a couple hours I got it all out What this did was that it brought me instant relief and allowed me to stop having these imaginary conversations with my imaginary dad. See, all of that was pent up inside of me. It was driving me nuts. It wasn't enough for me to just state my case and express myself to myself. I needed to get it out of myself for somebody else to hear it. Not my father. That's important. I needed somebody, a real person who was not my dad, to unload all of this stuff on as if I were talking to my dad, presenting my case while not actually talking to my dad. The day after I did this, the dreams were gone. I woke up in a much better mood and I was feeling tremendously relieved. So when you catch yourself in similar situations with pent-up frustration and a need to be heard, remember that many times 
we may think that unless we get to unload on the person who is the focus of our intense frustration that it won't do any good but that's not true often simply being heard by any willing non-judgmental pair of ears will bring tremendous relief and tremendous relief translates into a calmer clearer mind once I had gotten all these imaginary pent-up arguments out of me and I had been heard and I had the calm heart and clear mind that I had been waiting for before making any decisions well then I was in a better position to make decisions right as far as whether or not to reply to my dad's delusional letter there was only one correct answer I'm not saying it was my preferred answer I'm just saying it was the only answer I absolutely cannot reply to it why not because my dad never met the conditions to send that letter to me in the first place how can I healthfully reply to a letter that was sent against all that violates all the rules of emotional health I can't of course I can do whatever I want the same as all of us can do whatever we want at any time but here's the most important thing I can't do anything I want at any time and still be healthy if I want to stay healthy that means observing and living in harmony with what is healthy and not doing anything that contradicts what is healthy I created a boundary I set a condition and now I am as bound to that as my dad is for better or worse you know a situation where somebody says a bunch of stupid stuff to you that you could easily refute but that you choose not to reply to at all is not easy because of course there are a million things I could say and that I would love to say but here's where you gotta ask yourself and be honest with yourself you gotta ask yourself would doing so violate any healthy principles or laws in this case it absolutely would no doubt about it it would absolutely undermine everything for me to reply to that letter boundaries conditions consequences which are not enforced are not boundaries conditions or consequences at all and the minute you betray them you will have undone maybe years of good progress and work on both yourself and another person the minute you betray them the damage that you have just done by betraying those principles and laws cannot be measured it extends throughout everything secondly you have to ask yourself honestly do I have this intense urge to reply because I truly think it will make any real difference whatsoever or is the urge coming from a simple need to get something off my chest to be heard think about the dreams I was having of my dad and how frustrated I was every time I would wake up from these dreams do you know why they were so frustrating because I was talking to this dream version of my dad knowing and seeing all the while that all of my talk was for nothing an absolute waste of energy time and oxygen it was like talking to some dumb rock why would you do that if if you saw me standing out uh, in my driveway talking to a rock you'd say why are you doing that there's nothing better you can do with your energy and time and attention oh no no I just got to this rock's got to hear me out it's pointless expending all that energy pointlessly does not bring relief it only brings you more frustration and that dream version of my dad 
That's exactly how I can expect any new letters I might write to be received because he hasn't done any work to be able to even begin to comprehend the things that you and I are talking about here today. If my dad is going to figure out the deeper things that he needs to figure out and experience these epiphanies, he's going to have to do it entirely on his own. Again, this makes me sad. It's not my preference, but that's just the reality. It's the reality I'm stuck with. I could talk to him for another hundred years every day. It wouldn't help. It wouldn't speed up, nor would it make any more likely whether or not he ever achieves these insights or not. It's something he either will do or he will not do. But in either case, it's not going to include my involvement. The temptation was there, I'm not going to lie to you. But it's not there anymore. I can see what a waste of time it would be and how it would only contribute to more frustration and anger and contribute to allowing my dad to continue as is and I don't need that. In fact, what I don't need is my dad at all. Do you remember back when we were talking about the example with the bed? How when the person in the example ignores your conditions and attempts to sleep in your bed anyway, as if it's not your bed at all, and he can do whatever he wants, that now there has to be consequences. And one immediate consequence is that those original conditions that you originally extended to the other the other person, you know, you just take a shower and you can you can do this. That condition that's gone. That doesn't exist anymore because the circumstances are now different. Those original conditions are a thing of the past now. If there are new conditions to meet that you decide to extend the other person, they're going to be a lot more strict and complicated than the original conditions, aren't they? But as for the original conditions, that boat has sailed. Well, there has to be some hard consequences in this situation with my dad, too. I've decided that the very reasonable condition I've had in place for years now for my dad, which he has had more than enough time to meet, but that he keeps ignoring, that condition is now a thing of the past. That condition had its time, it played itself out, and it's not sufficient anymore, given the new circumstances, given the way my dad has continued to try to abuse these things. So I've decided that it doesn't matter to me at all now if my dad sees a therapist or a psychologist regularly. Uh, that's not enough anymore for him to be able to have contact with me. I still hold out hope that he will do those things. Now notice what I said. I still hold out hope. I didn't say I hold out expect I hope I have the expectation that he will only that I hold out hope that he will because I, I love him, I want good things for him. But whether he does or not, it's no longer going to earn him any contact with me. The sad truth is, and it, this really does make me sad, but, but it's the truth. My life is so much more pleasant and calm and happy without him in my life at all, and that's the way I want it to be from now on. A simple letter in the mail brought me three weeks of frustration and angst. And if I had not received that letter, imagine how those three weeks would have gone with me. I would have been very pleasant and happy and calm. That's how I want my life to be. Is this the way I prefer things to be? Well, I hope you know that it's not the way I prefer things to be. And there are a lot of painful feelings related to this decision, but the pain is not in me having to make this decision. The pain is in the disappointment and regret that I have to make decisions like this at all. 
that I have been put into this position at all. That I have to make such decisions in order to enjoy emotional health and continue enjoying emotional health. Knowing that my wish is to have my dad in my life as he currently is and emotional health are completely contradictory to one another means that I don't have a lot of options. In fact, it leaves me with no options. I've patiently used up all the options that I've had to me that didn't violate any emotionally healthy laws or principles. And the man keeps behaving in ways to really whittle down my options until there's not much left. You know, I can't help but think about my ex-wife, Diana, and how I put her in this exact same situation. I whittled away her options. And because of love and because she valued emotional health, every time I would do something like this, her options, you know, what she could do that was both loving and emotionally healthy became smaller and smaller fewer and fewer between uh, fewer, fewer and farther between until divorce and then finally uh, she just wanted no contact with me whatsoever even after the divorce because I continued to whittle away her options sure it wasn't what she preferred I'm sure it brought her much distress uh, but she did the right thing, and I'm going to do the right thing too, for both me and for my dad. So with that in mind, I took additional steps this week to ensure that I never have to talk, see, or deal with my dad again, hopefully. I've made arrangements for him to get the message while not acknowledging his letter or making any reference to it whatsoever. Um, he will get the message. It'll be delivered to him. Uh and it won't require any contact from me whatsoever, either directly or indirectly, because I did not uh, give him, I, you know, I didn't say, hey, say this to my dad. I didn't say that. I made it clear that simply that he's not, there's no contact. There's been no contact whatsoever. But I also went further and um, enacted a, a few more consequences. Um, I know it's going to be painful for him, but hopefully, hopefully that might be just the thing that ultimately serves as a turning point for him. I hope so, but whether it does or not, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's all up to him. So some of these consequences involve my mother, who's, you know, my, she is my father's accomplice and lifelong enabler. And so... I've extended some heavy-handed consequences to involve her. Until now, I've made some minor exceptions for her, especially involving my daughter. But that's over. So I can only imagine the sorts of conversations going on between them now. I, I could just imagine my mom saying, Why did you have to write that blankety-blank letter, you idiot? But that's it. That's the... There has to be consequences. And they have to be consequences that are significant and mean something. Anyway, I don't want to go into any more detail than that as far as some of the personal details of the consequences and all that. You know, they involve a lot of my personal life. I just wanted to share with you that Things have drastically changed in the past week. That the old conditions you've heard me talk about being in place for the past few years in regards to my dad, uh, those are a thing of the past. Those conditions don't exist anymore. My dad's choice to ignore my boundaries and send the letter, which has really disturbed my life for several weeks now, has earned him some crushing consequences as a response. And no, to those who are curious as to whether I would respond to the letter, I have not, and more importantly, I cannot. It's not that I've just decided not to. It's that in order to live completely harmoniously with the fundamental laws and principles of emotional health, I cannot. There's no choice there. The only two choices are to live emotionally healthy 
or not. And that's really not a choice at all for me, who lived so many years emotionally unhealthy that I'm not ever going back to that. Not for anybody. Emotional health comes first. Fortunately, doing things in ways that are emotionally healthy are also always the most loving way to do things for oneself and for the one suffering real consequences. This may not be immediately apparent to many people. But I promise that the more you think about it and reflect on it, the more you will begin to understand why it is so. And once you understand why it is so, it's very, very hard to betray with your eyes wide open, knowing exactly what you're contributing to. By betraying it, it's very hard to do what you know is the wrong thing to do. Emotionally speaking, you know, as far as whether you're contributing to emotional health or contributing to emotional unhealth. I won't contribute to emotional unhealth. I promised you some quotes in a campfire story. These are just a few quotes that I come across recently and I jotted down for myself to reflect on. Unrelated to today's topic, I thought I'd share them with you. As far as IQ goes, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but it was in an article I read recently. A guy had an enormous IQ. And it was interesting because he said back in school, he'd take these IQ tests and they were just ridiculous to him. So the teachers all thought that he had a learning disability. They put him into a class for people with learning disabilities. But then later, he retook an IQ test and he said, you know what, uh, none of these questions are so absurd, I'm just going to, I'm not going to give him any thought, I'm just going to answer them. So he just answered them. And then he did so well in this IQ test later in life that they immediately yanked him from his classes and put him in the gifted children's classes. But this person says, there's no quick way to measure someone's intelligence. Every single instrument we have has been debunked. So when you're out there in internet land, looking at these people who are just obsessed with IQ, remember that. Every single instrument to measure IQ has been debunked. Intelligence exists in too many forms. It's too, culturally, it's too culturally situated. It's open to bias. The next quote is about the past, and I really like this one. I've been thinking a lot about it. It says, if we are continually looking back on the past inappropriately, we could accentuate any dissatisfaction we might feel with our present circumstances. So, lovely quote, the idea is that it's constructive to look back on things with regret in order to learn from them and change them and avoid them in the future. And also it's nice to reminisce about good times, but it's not healthy to live in the past. The now and the future is what we really need to be focused on and investing in. Here's a quote from uh, Caesar Milan. Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. He says, "When you face the fear, you start going from being afraid to being confident." That's it for quotes. Let me tell you the story about the car that I sat in was not mine. My brother and I worked together for a while. We worked for a, a stone and tile place, and we did sandblasting, and we would do all this artistic, beautiful tile and uh, engravings on rock and that sort of thing, stone. And because I was the boss, and my only employee was my brother, oh, we had some good times. So every once in a while, we would uh, go make a, a run for some supplies in the city. And while we were there, I'd take him out to lunch. There was a place that served Philly cheesesteaks. Man, they made good cheesesteaks. So we would often go there, and I was the one usually driving. 
and we'd go in get our cheese steaks we would just kind of like draw draw it out you know because we were technically we were out on a supply run so sometimes we'd have hour long hour and a half maybe two hour long lunches and just enjoy the afternoon for a little bit before getting back to the before going back to work and on this one day uh, i went in got got myself ordered myself a philly cheesesteak my brother ordered himself a cheesesteak and he got his cheesesteak first so he got his cheesesteak walked outside disappeared to go back to the car and finally i got my cheesesteak i was starving that day and i walked back out got in my car started unwrapping my cheesesteak and I, I actually started i was sitting there eating my cheesesteak and i thought where is my brother looked around didn't see him i just assumed that he, he maybe he walked down to like an adjacent store or something to get a pop or whatever so i'm sitting there just eating my cheesesteak just in heaven when all of a sudden i hear somebody say what the hell are you doing and i look up i have my window down I look up. There's a guy standing there, just standing beside the driver's door, looking at me, gnawing down on my cheesesteak. And I said, excuse me? What the hell do you think you were doing? I said, I'm eating my lunch. Why? (laughs) Who are you? He says, you're in my car. And I said, the hell I am. This is my car. And I look over, like at the passenger side, where my brother would normally be sitting and there on the seat is a a seat cover that I didn't notice before and it's not my seat cover I gotta tell you the the cognitive dissonance that I went into first of all I'm certain that this guy standing outside my door is totally out of his mind at the same time I'm totally certain that is not my seat cover and at the same time I'm totally certain that my brother should be sitting there but he's not (laughs) and as my brain is trying to sort all this out I look through the window of the passenger side of the car and about three cars down I see my brother sitting in a car that looks just like mine eating his cheesesteak and all of a sudden it dawned on me you dummy you are in the wrong car man I'm telling you what I could have died I I went from being combative with this guy to just eating crow, man. I was like, oh my gosh. And trying to explain this just on the spot, having, you know, having no time to think about it or reflect on it or anything. And you're just, literally, the, the realization has just hit me. And now I'm trying to explain myself to this guy. It was unbelievable. Nothing like that has ever happened to me before in my entire life. And then as I was getting out, I, I looked through the car and obviously it wasn't my car i don't know how i did not realize that wasn't my car but on the outside it was the exact make and model of my car i had left my windows down he had left his windows down it's like one of those things that probably (laughs) one in a million chances that that would happen to you (laughs) but it happened to me i'm telling you what man i I come very, very close to getting punched in the face. That guy, he was about to let me have it. And fortunately, as I ate enough crow and was just like, oh my gosh, and got out and I was just trying to explain myself and try to make sense. You know, how do you make, how do you tell that story so that's believable um, when you haven't even figured out the details of exactly how it happened yet? You know, but I was trying to do my best and I, the guy took pity on me. He let me go. And, um, so that's my story. I'm curious, has anything like that ever happened to you? If so, tell us about it on Locals over at thelastsymptom.locals.com. Uh, or you can download the Locals app and just search for The Last Symptom. And uh, that's where we have fun discussions like this. You know, Monday to Monday to like Friday afternoon, it's mostly serious stuff. But on the weekends, we let our hair down and we get friendly with each other and get to know each other and you know, talk about fun things. So, uh, I would love to hear any stories like that that you might have of uh, accidentally getting in the wrong car <laughs> and how how you got away from that situation without getting shot or punched in the nose or whatever. Or maybe you did get punched in the nose. That might make the story even more interesting. 
ladies and gentlemen i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the show it's probably one i'm going to refer people back to a lot so uh bookmark it do something nice for yourselves this weekend folks this is brian barnett talk to you soon mm-hmm.